Hey Super Friends and welcome to this week's Get Your Comic On podcast. It's Neil and Martin here. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. <laughs> That's going to become a tradition, isn't it? Yep. Uh, if you can't tell by the insane amount of noise that's going on behind us, we are not in our usual little studio space, are we? No, we're not. We're out in a boot. <laughs> Where, what, what are we? Out in a boot. <laughs> we are currently standing in uh, London's Excel Centre, and it is Saturday of MCM Comic Con. Woo! Mm. This is our MCM Comic Con special! Mm. So we're going to be telling you what we've been seeing, what we've been doing... Uh, we have our first ever interview on the podcast, which is going to be in this week, which I'm very excited about. And we're also going to tell you about the first episode of Swamp Thing. Yes, we can finally talk about Swamp Thing. And also uh, Godzilla, which we haven't seen yet, but will have seen by the time you, you listen to this. We're doing a weird timey-wimey thing. This is the timey-wimey episode. So uh, do you want to tell the folks at home what, what you can see around you right now? So in front of us we've got a giant Jean Grey who's sort of floating around doing some photo ops. Yep, some, two of them in fact. Two of them, two photo ops. And then behind us we've got a really creepy Annabelle which I'm avoiding at all costs. I will try and do that before the end of the weekend. I will not. You've got it just over behind us as well with the red balloons. Also we'll be avoiding that at all costs. <laughs> Why? Don't do horrors. Not Is it Chucky dolls. just over there as well? No, not too. Chucky, no. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a very horrorful uh, film section at this uh, this month's com- this month. <laughs> we don't have this every month at uh, this May's MCM Comic Con. Well, X Men doesn't really count as horror. Well, we've not seen it yet. Mate, do. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't count as horror. But it's got two photo ops. You got one that matches what we did at the X Men event the other day, which is just in front of the poster, and then you've got the awesome one around the other side where you get to stand in the rubble and fight Jean Grey. Which I did last night. Well, you can fire or you can pretend to be terrified. Really I you. chose to do my Charles Xavier face, which I'm doing right now, which you can't see if you're listening to this. People are starting to look. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. If you're watching this on YouTube, though, I'm going to do a um, like walk around with the camera and film the entire of the convention floor. So right now, if all works out whilst you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube... You'll be watching a little walk around of the convention floor, which is pretty cool. What has been your highlight of the weekend so far of MCM? I think it would be the visit to Funko with a little special MCM exclusive, which I was very excited about. Yes, uh, and I've forgotten to say that there will be a competition coming up at the end of this this latest instalment of the podcast. We've got a little Funko exclusive to give away. Funko has not been the easiest booth to get into, has it? No, but it was worthwhile once we got there. We got here at uh, 10 o'clock yesterday morning, which was an hour after the doors opened, to be fair. We were a little bit later than I planned. And it took an hour queuing to get into the stand due to the rush for Thanos. Yes, it was a very, very long queue. And then when we got into the shop, it was utter madness. I got quite a lot of, like, grab like purchase like not purchase envy that's not the right word I got like very grabby well I was a bit sort of like don't spend too much money but at one point I did grab two Batman classics out of a man's hand because I thought they were the last two left and I don't know why I don't know why I got two we don't need two no but maybe we'll be giving one away in the future mm. we won't be giving that away this week though that's going to be in the future 
watch the space. Uh, we didn't buy a ten-inch Thanos though. There was uh, there was nothing short of a uh, of a riot to get one of those yesterday morning. I hear that they're uh, they're limited to one per person today though. I'm not sure what where you would put a ten-inch Thanos. <laughs> Sorry, I went to <laughs> a dark place there. I went to a very dark place. Um, I don't think we have any space left for any more Funko. I won't buy any more for the rest of the weekend. I promise. Unless I happen to come across uh, Batman 80 in his Batmobile. Then you might be in trouble. I think you might be in trouble. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. For our first little section this week, we're going to have to uh, jump into the future to talk about Godzilla King of the Monsters, which we haven't seen yet, but we are seeing on Tuesday. So let's, through the magic of timey-wimey-ness, uh, go and join ourselves back home in the studio to talk about Godzilla. Rodan. Ghidorah. Mothra. They're everywhere. It's comforting. We need a giant monster on our side. My God. Godzilla. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. In cinemas May 29. Book tickets now. So Godzilla King of the Monsters hit cinemas across the UK on Wednesday the 29th of May. Short synopsis for this one is the cryptozoological agency Monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. In this one are Kyle Chandler as Dr. Mark Russell, the awesome Vera Farmiga as Dr. Emma Russell, Millie Bobby Brown as Madison Russell, Ken Watanabe Z Zhang, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, Thomas Middlemitch, Aisha Hines, and O'Shea Jackson Jr. We were very lucky in that we got to see this like an hour ago. Uh, the embargo lifted while we were in there, and there wasn't really a lot of time to, you know, review it unless you wanted to live blog review it or rate it as it was going along, but that would have been a bit annoying for the people sat next to us if I'd had my laptop out. Your thoughts on this movie having seen the trailer? You're making a face at me as if you're going to say you'd never saw the trailer. I don't think I did see the trailer, to be honest with you. What did you see of this before we saw the film? I think I saw the bit of the trailer where Mothra flops out the waterfall. And I thought, oh, that's quite cool. Right, so you went into this pretty blind then. Well, there's been... It, wasn't gonna... it was never going to be a complicated plot line. Okay, well, we'll skip that one then. And uh, your thoughts on watching this movie? It was alright. Okay. It's a summer blockbuster crush em, big monster fight film. Uh, are you struggling to put sentences together today? I'm just trying to think of something constructive to say that's not negative. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you didn't like it. Yeah, I wasn't a massive fan. <laughs> and we get to the truth, ladies and gentlemen. So why didn't you like it? I did not like it. I was just a bit like, oh. It just felt like it was just, what, two hours of... Two hours, 11 minutes? Of CGI monster fighting and nothing else. Did you want real monsters? No, I didn't want real Nobody wants real monsters. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I was expecting a little bit more of a storyline. I don't know why I was expecting more of a storyline, but something a bit more. Well, that's all right. You don't, I mean, you don't really like the Transformers movies, and in a way, this is quite similar. Yeah, it's exactly like a Transformers movie, but with monsters. Yeah. That was probably my biggest issue with it, was that if you think about 2014, 
with Aaron Taylor-Johnson, or to you, Kick-Ass, there was a lot more to the backstory of Godzilla in an origin sort of way, and there was more storyline to it. And people's biggest complaint about that movie was that they felt like Godzilla wasn't in it enough. I would still argue that he's not in this one a huge amount, but he's in it more, and there's more explosions. Yeah, I mean, you do you get a tiny, tiny bit of almost like the Godzilla backstory. I would have liked a little bit more of that when we went to that sort of underground. Oh, okay. Bit where I was going to say. 2014 was his origin story, but you mean like prehistoric origin story? Yeah, because that was quite, you know, that was interesting. They found this like massive underwater, underwater city. That place was called Seatopia. It's from the 1970s era of Godzilla, if I remember rightly from my research. You'd be quite impressed by how much uh, almost everything in that film was was actually a reference to something from Godzilla. So like um, the, the outposts, the monarch outposts are... Uh, all the numbers correspond to years in which Godzilla movies were released. That's a lot of Godzilla movies. There are a lot of Godzilla movies. But what they really cleverly do is that they tie certain things in. So there are certain ones that tie really specifically. So like Mothra's Outpost was Outpost 61. And the film Mothra was 1961. And Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah was released in 1991. And uh, that Outpost was Outpost 91. Outpost 55 is Godzilla Raids Again... 61 was Mothra, 67 was Son of Godzilla, Outpost 75 was Terror of Mecha Godzilla from 1975. Just tiny little nods, but kind of made me appreciate the film a bit more because there's some subtext to nearly everything. There was even a film, uh, I forget what year it was released, that was called Destroy All Monsters, which if you think of it like an Avengers of monsters, like they teamed up every monster, kind of like this film. and it starts out with them being manipulated by aliens to attack cities. So, similar to what is done in this, only it's not aliens. And then, in the end, they all team up together to take down Ghidorah, which they do in this film too. Mm. There is some context to it. So Why... as, a, as a casual watcher, you, you wouldn't get any oh, of that. Oh, you wouldn't get any of that, no. Mm. Why, uh, why do you think it didn't resonate with you then? Was it the human characters that you didn't find you were able to connect with in some way? It, just, it felt like a Transformers film, like I said, with monsters. And it almost felt like some of the, the one-liners were just really, really slapstick cheesy. And I'm not sure if that was on purpose or by There accident. were a few moments that I didn't like. So was it at the end of the scene where Vera Farmiga's character is talking on the big screen and telling her kind of the plot of what's going to happen? Like, her, her, this is what I'm going to do. And then uh, it pans through the crowd of people on the Argo craft and uh, the the Chinese doctor just says that bitch like for no real reason yeah there's and bits like that you think oh god. there's the other moment where um, I think it's Kyle Chandler at one point says oh my god and then the scientist guy stood next to him goes Zilla and it's just like mm. moments like that were, were a bit hokey at best yeah and it didn't really fit I mean if that was when was the last Godzilla 2014 was Godzilla no, with Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Like last... 1997 with yeah, Matthew worked, Broderick. Yeah, that was a good Godzilla film. <laughs> Those one-liners worked, would have worked really well in, in that, that tone. context. Yeah. But the tone of this one, it was trying to be... I don't know what it was trying to be. A bit more sort of upmarket-y high CG, but with those like throwbacks to yeah. cheesy 
monster movie. So Transformers esque in a way. Yeah. And it's a it's probably not very it's probably not a very good thing to say that, but um that is very much how this movie comes off at times. Yeah, so if you love Transformers you'll love this film. I notice you haven't uh, asked me what I thought of this film. What did you think of this film? So I actually quite enjoyed the action. I thought it started out really well. I liked that it contextualised uh, Vera Farmiga and Kyle Chandler's characters, well, and to a degree Millie Bobby Brown, although she's not in the scene, in what happened in the 2014 movie, because it starts out with that flashback that's very... Bruce Wayne sees the destruction of Metropolis during Man of Steel. <laughs> Made me go, oh, I'm watching Batman vs. Superman again. Uh, I liked that they did that. That was a nice little bit of effort to not only connect the movies, but to also give those characters some genuine sort of emotional resonance. Uh, and then I felt that the human characters all went a bit wobbly as the film progressed from there. So I, I liked the setup of uh, separating the parents because they've lost one child. She invents the device called the Orca that they use to not really control, but to try and communicate with the Titans. Not as in like Robin, Starfire and Beast Boy, as in Mothra, Rodan and the crew. Now there's a film I would watch. Godzilla versus the Titans. The Titans would win. <laughs> um, and then you get the first attack from Charles Dance's character. And that's all good. And he kidnaps the two of them. I realise I've gone into massive spoiler territory. Uh, it's probably from when they go to the to the Arctic and they f- and Kyle Chandler catches up with them and tries to save his ex-wife and his daughter. That it then starts to go downhill. From the moment when she picks up the um, the detonator and she does that run, not in the Jurassic Park style, but close enough, to the point where our audience laughed out loud when the the storyline of why they were bringing about the Titans was told. To that sequence where she's appearing on the monitor talking to the rest of the crew, people were laughing at her, which I thought was quite bad, given she was giving away her plan. Yeah, it was a bit sort of cringeworthy in a way, wasn't it? Something about that scene didn't play very well at all. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because she was so placid or that she was so placid that she came across as slightly psychotic. Maybe that's what she was going for. It was a bit Norma Bates, which is why I love her, though. Yeah, slightly crazed, like we will save the planet at all costs. Yeah, but I don't know. Something about it just didn't quite feel right to me, and that's what made that scene not work. It just didn't quite land. And also... I like Millie Bobby Brown in Stranger Things. I think she's great as Eleven. But something about her I found a little bit annoying in this film. They're just, I mean... Not just the fact that she didn't... I was about to say not just the fact that she didn't die. That's harsh. The fact that she seemed to be able to survive things that no one else could. So when you think about when Ghidorah wakes up in the Arctic, almost everyone dies that's there. Nearly everyone that is there dies. Only a handful of them escape on both, like, goody and baddie sides and then at every other titan face-off there's a huge death toll that city gets wiped out in mexico they've had to evacuate boston um there's that other moment when people get off a craft and Ghidorah just vaporizes them with a thunderbolt instantly yet she is able to run from the base to the uh to the baseball stadium set off the device survive the baseball stadium blowing up run across the field, throw the device at Ghidorah, 
and then run out of the stadium and make it all the way back to her house. Yeah, and then survive the house being destroyed as well. Yes, because she was in the bathtub. Mm. So she was she was quite indestructible, which was a bit weird. It's a bit far fetched. And she didn't. I don't really feel that the character did very much anyway. None of the characters did very much, to be honest. With you. And then, so that was what I was going to say. Was my biggest problem with it was, uh, was the human characters. And I know I will take some shit for this on Twitter for it. But if you're going to spend that much time with the humans, then they need to be good characters. As much as you want to say to me it's a Godzilla movie, you only go to see it for the monsters. That's fine. That's all well and good. But if in a two hour and 11 minute movie I've got to watch an hour and 45 minutes of humans interacting or humans reacting to the monsters in between all of the action, then they need to be a believable character. Yeah, I didn't care about any of them. I cared about Vera, but that's just because I love her as Norma Bates. I say Vera like we're on first name terms. (laughs) (laughs) You and Vera. (laughs) No, I just think she's great in everything she's ever she's ever been in no everything I've seen her in I just really enjoy her in yeah no I get that she yeah. didn't get to do a maniacal scream though she didn't have a like a no man no man moment yeah no she wasn't quite as crazed in this one she's more of a calmly psychotic in this one yeah I thought the CGI was pretty good all the way through Ghidorah was well masked in clouds and rain quite a lot and I don't know if that was to make up for some of the Lack of quality. You know what I mean? Sort of like added it to his menacingness. It well, it did add to his menacingness, but um, if there was anything about his the way he was animated that was maybe they at some point felt looked a little bit too cartoony, then it's well covered up by what's going on around him. Whereas Godzilla is is almost always full on on screen and looks amazing throughout. You could almost think that he was real. I thought Mothra looked the best. Yeah, Martha was very impressive. She was she was quite stunning. Particularly liked when she got the uh, the claws out and proper went for Rodan. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of moths, but you know, I, I don't mind Mothra. I think my favourite bit from the monsters isn't even one of the action sequences. It's in the middle of one of them. When Ghidorah flies Kong up through the clouds and then drops him back down. There's a really nice shot where he does almost like a bat wing in front of the moon type spreads the wings and drops Godzilla who then just falls like an asteroid back to Earth on fire. Also really like the uh what I call like ultra move Godzilla, which is actually called like Red Fire Godzilla or something like that. So after he's been nuked and he goes completely nuclear. Feels like when you're playing like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat and you've charged up your power bar to like full, you've done a couple of special moves and you've got like the ultra move left. And you're like, it's time, it's time, it's time. Mash all the buttons Big red wave of fire exactly what happened it just felt like a computer game it was like okay and now he's using Ewing and now he's using his ultra move yeah and it worked and it you know he got the KO he did get the KO nice nice reference nice reference but it was definitely a mixed bag definitely a mixed bag it'll be interesting to see what Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong I forget which way around it is is like when it comes out next year it's not putting me off going to see that movie at all no, I mean, it'd probably be, it's a different, it is what it is, it's a summer big budget monster film. So. The next one's out in March, which is interesting, it's quite early in the year. Oh, then that'd be a, some, that'd be a spring monster fight. Hmm. 
my review uh, of this movie is out on the website now if you want to read it. I gave it a 6 out of 10, which I really agonised over. There was part of me that wanted to give it a 5, which was the more sort of... Uh, how shall we say? Like, um, film reviewer in me. And the child in me wanted to give it like a 8 out of 10, because I just thought the action was awesome. <laughs> But my verdict was, Godzilla King of the Monsters ultimately sacrifices great storytelling and characters for spectacle. But in doing so, it's still able to craft a fun cinema-going experience which will have even the most sceptical disaster movie fan foaming at the mouth. It's sheer monster mayhem at its least cerebral but most destructive. That sounds very reasonable. <laughs> what would you give it out of ten? Um, what would I give it out of ten? Five. Oh, really? Your score has gone up. Your initial reaction when we left the cinema was a four. Yeah, maybe say four and a half. Just because. It's hard to deny how fun the action is because it is quite exhilarating to watch them just go at it. Yeah, I mean, the monster stuff is really good. It's just a bit, I feel like it could have been half an hour shorter. Yeah. Half an hour shorter and that would have been a, a right amount of monster mashing for me. Fair enough. So Godzilla King of the Monsters is in cinemas now by the time you're listening to this, uh, which it came out on the 29th of May. We highly recommend that you go check it out because we would love to hear from you as to what you thought. Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it so much? Let us know. You can find us on social media at Get Your Comic Con. As always, I am at Neil Vag and Martin is at BoyWonder89. Now let's throw back to ourselves, back in time, at MCM Comic Con. (laughs) So I think one of my highlights of uh, Comic-Con has been my uh, my chance to do the first interview for the podcast. So I uh, put out a message on uh, all our social channels, uh, like once a week for about a month before Comic-Con, asking if there's anybody kind of cosplayer-wise or comic book-wise that wanted to just sit down and have a chat with us about stuff for the podcast, be that, you know, why they enjoy doing cosplay or telling us about the comic book that they are involved with just anything really that would kind of fit that we could have a little bit of fun with and so with that being said i had the uh, the chance to meet a couple of really cool little indie creators who have a stall round in artist alley for the comic book woodland creatures wild souls so it is based on a novel by uh, author christina roswell who uh, so she wrote the original novel and then has worked with a comic book writer to kind of change it into this graphic novel format and it's going to be coming out hopefully later this year but they're doing a kickstarter to help raise money for the first issue and they're nearly there literally as as we're going through this weekend so many people have been up to their table that they're, they're getting really really close to the goal now so let me tell you a little bit about it so woodland creatures wild souls tells the story of calliope or callie conway who knows that her background would put any average killer to shame She's never felt any empathy towards the human being. Alaska is her homeland, and life in its wild lands isn't easy, but the worst part is facing her inner demons. To fight them, she only has the help of Christopher and her Amarok, her animal soulmate, the oldest link between mankind and wolves. When Christopher left the US Army for a job as a tour guide in the Alaskan woods, he never thought he'd end up falling in love with a sociopath whose murders he'd have to constantly avoid or cover up. He'd got his very own problems, derived from years of blindly following orders that he didn't always agree with. All he wanted now was to privately and peacefully deal with the nightmares while trying to move on. 
However, a meeting in Manhattan with an old army colleague will force them to leave their personal issues behind them while they join forces to prevent the approval of a plan that would endanger thousands of innocent lives. So I had a chance to sit down with uh, Alan McLeod, who is the co-editor of Woodland Creatures uh, Wild Souls, the comic book. And we had a little chat about the Kickstarter, the comic book, what it was like trying to take the original novel and translate it into a graphic novel form. So have a little listen. It's my first ever interview, so I was uh, quite nervous to say the least. Enjoy! So, tell us about Woodland Creatures Wild Souls. So, uh, Woodland Creatures Wild Souls is a twist on the typical werewolf style. So, instead of being the very typical person turns into a wolf, which has been done to absolute death nowadays, uh, we have a person who has a wolf soulmate and is able to mentally transfer their consciousness into the body of the wolf, take control of it that way. Our story revolves around two key characters. We have got Callie, who is basically a murdering psychopath, um, and she loves nothing more than to hunt humans. Alongside her, you've got Christopher, who's a military veteran suffering from PTSD. And our story is how do these two deal with their own deep psychological problems, and are they able to put these problems to one side when the US military finds out about them and wants to weaponize their kind? Nice, okay, cool. So... Tell us a bit about what the process was like of adapting the original novel to fit this whole new comic book medium. Uh, Much harder than we anticipated, I'll say this. I think everybody thinks it's an easy idea of scribble a few drawings and slap down a sentence and it's sorted. Um, We were very, very lucky in getting our team together. Um, Our artist, Thomas Ira, has created some amazing artwork for us. Um, The artwork in the preview is amazing. I love it. It's outstanding for us as well. You know, every time I look at it, I'm very much going, "Wow, I can't believe this!" I mean, like just the banner artwork. It's just—it's so striking. Yeah, it seems that Thomas is on very much on the same wavelength as us. As soon as we mention something to him about an idea, the next thing that we get is pretty much perfect, and yeah, blows away. Um, Fally, Fally Raphael Davis has been amazing at taking Christina's original written work and condensing it into single sentences and really... It's trying to pick out from all of that prose exactly what are the key bits you want to get in there in terms of the dialogue and everything but then kind of make sure you don't lose anything that might not be in the visual. Exactly and this is where Raphael has been you know above and beyond anything that we could have hoped. He's he's really been quite brunt with Christina a lot of times of just going no you don't need that Okay, you yeah. really don't need that, even though Christina's saying, I like it. Yeah, you like it, but you don't need it. So yeah. cut it out, and then we get very key sentences, really keeping the story flowing. And yeah, it's been harder than we thought, but it's been good fun. But you just mentioned about seeing that artwork there. So what was it like seeing it for the, for the first time and kind of then getting to see the visual world and it tra- kind of transcribed like that? Single word, gobsmacking. Yeah. Um, the very first time I saw, I saw the novel, it was very much like, this is exactly everything I've seen in my mind and here it is on paper. It's, yeah. nothing's changed. It's generally what I imagined and now I'm seeing it coming to life and I'm seeing the story evolving with characters which I grew attached to yep. through reading the novel. Now I'm seeing them coming to life and seeing their own personalities coming through and Thomas being able to bring these to life in his striking black and white color like yeah. yeah i say black and white colors but 
just those two two colours, there's a huge array and it, it, it is gobsmacking for what he's able to produce for us. I can hear it in your voice as well, just how exciting it yeah. is. So what about people who've read the, the novel? Have you had much feedback from them who've looked at the, the preview? How has that been? Yeah, loads. Everybody who's read the novel so far and has also read the preview has loved it and they're all really excited. Yeah. Um, they're very keen to help us get on and create the whole novel. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's been an amazing reaction. We're really, we're really excited to bring this forward. Cool, so tell us a bit about the Kickstarter. You've got a few days left to go. Yeah. It's getting pretty close to its goal. I was just yeah, looking there in the it is. you're inching closer to we it. We are, uh, I believe, 78% funded now, so we're very, very close. We've got five days left, five or six days. Um, so we are still doing really well. We've got time left. Yeah. And pretty confident. It's been tough. I'm not gonna lie, I don't yeah. think uh, I don't think it would be I don't think it's been as easy as we thought it was going to be. Okay. But it's been good fun. We've really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think we're happy with what we're doing so far. Great. And how's it been MTN this weekend? Obviously we're on Sunday today, so you've had two days of it already. Yeah. How's the interaction been? It's been absolutely amazing. Everybody who's come up to us has complimented on our artwork, the loving the looks, we're loving the the base of the story, the artwork is what catches the eye when they come up and we have a chat with us and we hear the kind of different stories of what's going through the novel and uh, kind of what we've got planned coming out later. They're all really excited and, you know, we're, we're getting loads of people on our mailing list, we're getting loads of people Excellent. backing us on Kickstarter. I had a lady come up uh, on Friday and as soon as I mentioned Kickstarter, she actually pulls out her phone, goes on the That's Kickstarter amazing. and backs us there and there. That's amazing. So when you have people like that, it's... It's fantastic. It's been great fun. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, last question: uh, Can you give us any teasers for what might be coming up in the rest of the series? <laughs> Can't give you a lot. Um, all right. We'll throw, throw some bait out into the pond. Then. Go for it. Um, so, moving on from the preview, we're really going to have a change of scenery. We're going to have a change of pace. We're moving the action from Manhattan, where it's set in the preview. We're going up to Alaska. Okay. Cool. Uh, we're going to start looking at a lot of the kind of Inuit tribes and their connection to mythology which is really yeah. what inspired us to create this novel you're gonna see some very interesting slightly shady characters making appearance later on some uh, some really funny characters also making appearance as well so there's lots still to come from woodland creatures awesome thanks very much thanks for talking to it's us. been an absolute pleasure so I hope you enjoyed that little interview. That was that was quite a fun experience, and a huge thank you to those guys for agreeing to do it and uh, putting up with me being so nervous. <laughs> the amazing news is that they have uh, reached their goal on Kickstarter, and they they are fully funded. I think they even managed to reach their little stretch goal as well, which was um, to add in some of the bonus items, which is really really great news for them, and it's going to be a great little project. So I'm looking forward to seeing the results of it. If you go over to the Kickstarter page, you obviously you can't donate anymore, but um, you can read a 10 page preview of the comic book and it, it does it looks really cool and it's something that I highly recommend and I really enjoy getting involved with these little projects like that and so now we're going to chat about the uh, first episode of DC Universe's Swamp Thing but of course it would not be a review without uh, playing a little bit of trailer first so have a listen
kind of cold. There's a situation back in the States. Where? You're kidding. How long has it been since you were home? A while. Dealt with anything like that before? Who are you again? Holland. Al Collin was investigating illegal dumping on the swamp. Hello? Dr. Jason Woodrow. Oh, the CDC's in town. There's no way that my accelerant is responsible. There's this poison coming off the swamp. You should be dead! There's been a shift in the balance of the light and the dark. Something's out there. dealing with something beyond the known scope of science. I need it alive to study. There's all kinds of awful that happens in this swamp. There's something special about this place. There's so much unimaginable beauty out there, Abby. The swamp's had enough since it's time back. really excited for this one this is this is a show i've been looking forward to i was probably looking forward to this more when they announced dc universe than i was doom patrol titans would be the number one expectation because of the characters but i think this was this was like my number two of the of the live shows swamp thing stars crystal reed who you might know from gotham as sophia falcone um in this is abby arcane you've got virginia madsen as maria sutherland andy bean as alec holland uh, Derek Mears as the Swamp Thing himself, Henderson Wade as Matt Cable, Maria Sten as Liz Tremaine, Will Patton as Avery Sutherland, and plenty of other random amazing cast members. So you've got Jennifer Beals as Lucilla Cable, and Kevin Durand as Jason Woodrow. Where do you know the name Jason Woodrow from, Martin? Was he in that? Yeah. John Glover from Smallville played this crazy scientist at the beginning of Batman and Robin. He is Jason Woodrow. There was a huge Swamp Thing connection in Batman and Robin. Oh, I never got that. No? No. That's disturbing, because we had a conversation about it at the cinema when we saw Batman and Robin the other day. Did we? Yes. Oh. I don't recall that. You mean you don't listen? No, I do. I just don't remember it. <laughs> okay. So, we have seen the first two episodes of Swamp Thing so far. We uh, we won't be talking to you about episode two until after it's aired, obviously. And we will try and keep spoilers to a sort of minimum. I mean, it's fairly obvious where the story is going to go in the pilot, so <laughs> spoiler territory is not really massive in terms of spoilers. What did you think of this one? I really liked it. Um, I was a bit anxious because it did look really scary. But you was... were really worried it was going to be scary, weren't you? I was, but I was brave enough and I managed to get through it without being scared. Okay, so on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, what was the scare factor? I'm going to say six just because of the 
the anxiety that may be scary. <laughs> oh, true. That is ten times worse than uh, than the actual scare. Cool. So, what were your what were your favourite bits of Swamp Thing? Quite like the use of all the practical effects. I thought that was very impressive. There were some very cool practical effects in there. There was obviously a lot of vines and things that were CGI around the swamp, but so many practical effects, and they were all equally quite creepy and in their own ways gruesome. Yeah, some of the more gory ones were really like, oh my god, is that a practical effect? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> the jaw that falls off in the well, the the body that falls apart in general in the uh, in the morgue scene is just is. Possibly one of my favourite moments ever in a DC TV series. It was very grim, and you did make me watch that in slow motion. I've watched it over and over and over. And freeze-framed and just general... But it's great. It's it's a really well-made show. And you you can see the fact that James Wan is involved, who's obviously the director of Aquaman... You can see his horror roots coming through. And then you've got Len Wiseman, who directed the pilot and is also directing episode two. And what do we know Len Wiseman from? Uh, Underworld. Ah, well remembered. Yes, he did direct the first Underworld and at one point was married to Kate Beckinsale. But well, we don't talk about we that. We don't talk about that. It did feel very Underworld-like. Cause there was, really? Because there's that practical effect side of like scary, not scary. Do you not think I'd have an Underworld? Feel. Didn't really strike me as that, but then I know so much of. So, like, he also um, worked on a lot of episodes early on and was an executive producer on the Sleepy Hollow series. He's got a lot of film and TV credits, so I just, for me, Len Wiseman, I just know it's Len Wiseman. Not to be confused with Len Goodman. No. That, okay. <laughs> so, my review of episode one is up on the website. My verdict was Swamp Thing is another monstrous triumph for the DC Universe. An incredible aesthetic and brilliant storytelling set the scene for what could be a fantastic horror series, proving huge versatility in the brand. A perfect pilot. I gave it 10 out of 10. We went straight in on a 10 out of 10 with this series. That's that's really high for a pilot. I just thought it was excellent. I thought the whole thing was excellent. It is, it's a slightly slow burn, particularly as it's 59 minutes rather than sort of 42, 43. But I love the pacing of it. It didn't, although it was slow, it didn't feel too long. I loved the introduction of Abby at the beginning. You got to see her in the Congo. You instantly, in quite a piloty trope sort of way, got to see that she's a bit of a, a ballsy chick when she takes her helmet off and it's no longer in a hazmat suit. And began poss- with infection. Yeah. So you were, come first. You know right from the beginning this, this lady is going to go head first into any form of trouble if it warrants it. Well, we've all been there. <laughs> And it just sets the scene perfectly. In fact, even before that, you've got the scene on the on the swamp itself with the three guys in the boat that get attacked by the swamp itself. That Amazing little guest awesome. spot from... A Power Ranger. Yes, RJ Siler, who was the Blue Ranger in 2017's Power Rangers, turns up. He swears quite a lot, though, so that's not one for the children. I don't think this whole program's one for the children. <laughs> Uh, but that, again, the effect in that one when he gets thrown up in the air and it just the, the vines like pierce through his chest. Oh, it's ex- excellent. Give me more gore. Any moments in this that you weren't particularly keen on? There was nothing that sort of. There were no particular moments that I was not keen on. It just felt a, it was very piloty in some areas. It didn't detract from the overall greatness of it it just it had a pilot you feel okay 
I really liked Andy Bean as Alec Holland. I hope that they find a way to work him into future episodes, whether that's like flashbacks to what happened before he was transformed into Swamp Thing, or whether they go down the route of the Swamp Monster is actually uh, like a creature of the Swamp that now has his memories, and there is actually an Alec Holland that's still potentially alive somewhere. There's different ways that they could go with it. But I just thought he was he was a really good character, and I enjoyed his chemistry with Crystal Reed as Abby as well. I thought they played well together in their scenes. Yeah, they did. It was quite nice together. But like I said, it'd be interesting to see which origin we stick to. Is he going to be a clone? Is he going to be trapped inside his body? Sort of thing. I'm really interested in um, the Sutherlands as well, because we didn't get to see much of Avery in the pilot. We got to see more of Maria who is more of an invention for the series than she was a comic book character. But Virginia Madsen can certainly uh, chew some scenery with the best of them, so I'm hoping we get to see her throw her weight around a little bit. She's clearly not very keen on Abby. No, she was given lots of sort of fierce mum. And interesting that they fleshed out Abby's backstory by having a, having left the town because of the death of the Sutherland's daughter. I don't know. So I've just started reading Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. I don't know if that's going to come up in that or if that's something that's invented for the TV series, but certainly it creates human drama in amongst all the other stuff that's going on. So it works in the context of the show, I felt. Yeah, no, it does. Stop scrolling as I'm recording. <coughs> I thought even the CGI effects were pretty good as well. The vines... Um, so like the obviously the scene that we were just talking about at the beginning when you get to see uh, the the dad when his corpse is just sort of leaning against the bathroom mirror and he's vomited out vines but there's still little ones creeping around I thought it all looked really good it seemed like it ta- had taken some uh, inspiration from Stranger Things maybe slightly in that respect a little bit sort of upside downy in a way the way the vines were uh, done but the practical yeah. effects were still really good it's I'm not saying it was unoriginal I think it just it took. It took great inspiration from some other shows that have done practical effects really well and enhanced them with CGI rather than relying on it. Yes, it was a nice mix of the two of them together. I think one thing that I found quite funny, and this was, I know I realised that it was a Power Ranger that was in that opening scene, but I thought the score reminded me of the Power Rangers music from 2017 quite a lot. And so the sort of recurring theme in the score I was humming and then humming Power Rangers, and then it turned out to be the same guy. It was a Brian Tyler. Oh, there you go. Something instinctively, I just knew who it was. Score geek tick for me. What are your hopes for where this show goes in the future? Uh, Don't I thought you were going to say deeper into the swamp. No, no, I'd want to see it crack open the... The mystical side of the DC universe. Yep. So when I say a bit of Constantine, a bit of Zatanna, a bit of the Green, let's crack all that open because we've never really seen that. Yeah. Done well. We've never really, yeah, we've only really seen it in Constantine. Legends of Tomorrow has done bits of it, but it's had to mix it in with the Legends of Tomorrow style, so you've not seen it quite so straightforward in the way it's played. No, I want to see it more sort of. DC Universe Darkness. Yeah. Done well. And I think they really could do it well. What were your hopes for this series? Having seen the second episode without giving too much away, I want to see more Swamp Thing. I think what we'll be talking about when we do the second episode next week is a lot of character development. And now I want to see some more of the action. I want to know what the 
the big driving plot line is going to be for this whole season. Uh, definitely intrigued to see more of Madame Xanadu. I know she's not in the pilot, but she is something I want to see more of. That's quite a big spoiler. She's quite a big character. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, she's very important in the world of Justice League Dark. Oh, okay. Oh, hang on. You've not seen episode two. I've not seen episode two. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so moving... you're like, oh, I want to see more of the, the dark side. And you're like, oh, my God, she's a big character. Uh, moving swiftly on, I'm really impressed by the cinematography in this as well. Some of the huge, like, sweeping shots of the set pieces, and I'm not just saying this to move on from that awkward little faux pas. Uh, some of the huge sweeping shots are really impressive. Like, early on when you see the whole scope of the swamp, and then when um, when Alec Holland's boat gets blown up and Abby's still in his lab, and she, she sees the explosion from a distance. As she runs from the back of the lab to the front to look through the window, it does this really big sweeping pan that goes around the building. Bearing in mind it's more than likely a set piece. I just thought it was really beautifully shot. I don't know who did the cinematography, but uh, just I think of the of the three live action shows on DC Universe so far, this is the best looking one of the three. Like Doom Patrol has its thing. Doom Patrol has the quirky comedy thing. It has the really zany, crazy like rats snogging cockroaches, and Titans has its violence. This is just like this is just art, like artwork for me. Just stunning, stunning artwork. What would you give this one out of 10? Go for a solid 7.5. Oh, nice. Good score. Room to room to improve in the future. And we'll see how it goes. We're going to be trying to bring you uh, a chat about every episode of this as we go. So if you have seen Swamp Thing and you haven't already spoken to me about it on Twitter, because I know plenty of people that have, uh, get in touch. Let me know. would love to hear your thoughts about it. Usual channels at Gator Comic Con or me at Neil Vag, uh, because let's get a discussion going. I want to know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you're hoping for, um, who your favourite cast member is. I'm getting a lot of people tell me how much they are a huge fan of Crystal Reed, which is really really nice because she's amazing in this. It's great to see her doing something outside of Teen Wolf that is a really big, strong character for her. So let me know. Love to hear your thoughts. Now let's head back to the convention floor for a little bit more MCM. There's been a lot of awesome cosplay going on at this convention this weekend. What's been the favourite thing that you have seen so far? Less Harley Quinns than we normally see. We normally have a Spot the Harley Quinn game going on. This time it's more of a Spot the uh, Endgame Thor. Definitely a very popular costume choice this time. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, what are they calling them? Like Surfer Thor or Lead Lebowski Thor. Thor. We'll sit you down to watch the big Lebowski, and then you'll get some context. So I really like the the little Star Wars family. Oh yeah, they were cute. You had what the little you had the snow monster, which I assume was the dad, and Princess Leia, mum, but dressed in the snow gear, and then the little Luke Skywalker on the Tauntaun. Yeah, that was Luke Skywalker on the Tauntaun. There's a full gallery up of all the pictures that I took of uh, of cosplay over on the website. There were some really awesome Ninja Turtles that were walking around that were they were I mean they weren't cosplayers they I mean they were, it was costumes, uh, but that was to help promote the cartoon. Donatello made me sad though. Oh, I got a fist bump from him. So. 
Well, I tried to give him a high five, and he could, he like pulled his hand away and did it like yeah yeah. Well, he did give me a hug when I told him he was my favourite. But there was so much though. I took photos of some some really awesome uh, it clones. That was creepy. What about was the penguin not your favourite cosplay? No. We we ended up <laughs> being menaced by someone dressed as Danny DeVito's penguin, which was a uh, which was quite good fun actually. It was it was too much. Really? Too much. It was funny for the first couple of minutes. Like, oh, it's funny now, but it, it lingered too long. So it was uncomfortably <laughs> long. There's quite a lot of people from our little uh, little web crowd that were that are, well are here for the for the weekend. So we. Uh, we met up with Nicola and Chris from We Have a Hulk last night and went for a went for a Nando's post con, which was really nice. Always, always fun to hang out with those two. Uh, and then this morning, whilst being menaced by the penguin, we were uh, we were hanging out with with Ben from DC TV on YouTube and Paul and the DC World crew. So at, oh, we have to say hello to Claire. We finally met Claire. Yes, we did. Yeah. Hello. I'm sure you are listening. Uh, so while we were hanging out with those guys, um, and also she was wearing an OG Get Your Comic Con badge, which is just. She earned her super fan badge. So while we were uh, while we were all hanging out, we decided we, we were going to take a photo in this life size Funko box, so you could you stand in it, and take a picture, and you look like you're in a Funko box, obviously. And whilst we're there, this penguin decided to he menaced you more than he menaced anyone else. Well, I think he got kind of honed in on my red hood T-shirt and he got a bit confused because he thought it was an actual Batman T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah. And also, you didn't really react and looked a little bit sheepish, and I think he thought, okay, I can push this. I tried to detract when I asked him to show me his French flipper trick, which I realise in the film is a really dirty quote, but I just it was the first thing I could think of from the film. And instead he just gave me a badge. I don't think he was getting the quotes. Because you were throwing him all the quotes and he was just kind of... He <laughs> didn't quite know where to go with it. He was getting some really odd um, comebacks from them. So there were a few variations on uh, on Nightwing and Robin that I saw, and a few Red Hoods. I took a picture of, uh, of quite a Titans-esque Robin, which was cool. One of my favourites was a Lego Hellboy. So there was a guy walking around dressed as a Lego Hellboy. It was very cool. So as I was saying, there's a cosplay gallery that's up at the website now, so you can go and take a look and uh, and see what you make of some of the uh, the awesome cosplay of MCM. One of the things that I really enjoy about these events is when you get to go kind of hands-on with stuff that's not out yet. So obviously you get to see trailers and stuff that for movies that aren't out, and I got to stand on that little platform and... Charles Xavier and myself at, uh, at Jean Grey. But one of the fun things is getting to uh, play computer games that aren't out yet, which is just always fun to just see these things while they're in development or to uh, get, just get to play something that people haven't played yet just because you can kind of brag about it a little bit. So we got an email on Thursday from a PR company representing R8 Games asking if we wanted to go and try out a new, and I find this very exciting to say this, but a new anti-gravity racing game called Pacer. So when I say anti-gravity, if you are of a certain age, why did you laugh? I didn't. I was had something in my throat. Uh huh. So if you're if you're of an age that remembers the the nineties or early two thousands, then you'll remember racing games like Wipeout that kind of used the anti-gravity um, format rather than the usual, you know, like Mario Kart style. You you're kind of flying a little bit and it, it adds a certain level of a uh, of fun to the gameplay so I, I i mean i jumped at the chance and got straight in touch with these guys and said yeah i'd love to to sit down and play it so a little earlier today we went and had a had a quick go on the game did a couple of racetracks you didn't play though no because the man kept speaking to me and i didn't feel like i could play was it the pressure that you thought i was just going to whoop your ass at it 
Well, no, and you threw all the bags at me and ran over to play. I was quite excited at the time. <laughs> um, but it was really good fun. Uh, I, only, I only played with a couple of different cars and on the one track, but um, I'll put the trailer in so that you can kind of see some of the gameplay footage while, while we're talking about it. But it was just a really, really good, uh, a good gameplay experience. So I've, let me just read you a little bit about it. So Pacer is a futuristic combat racer which is coming out later this year for PS4 and Xbox One. It will also be on PC. Uh, and it will definitely make you nostalgic for anti-gravity racing games of the 80s and 90s, like I said. Uh, so at launch, Pacer is uh, going to feature a unique storm mode for single player and multiplayer, where it's life or death in a contracting field of play, first ever battle royale arcade racer to date. There's a spectator mode where you can follow any pilot with chase, nose, orbit or environment cameras while displaying all the race stats. Highly customizable crafts. Replay modes, online ranked mode, online tournament and spectator modes, campaign mode where you can unlock team skins as well as more tracks and more speed classes. They're in partnership with Designers Republic for uh, designs that have influenced a whole generation of games and music as well. And the soundtrack and special effects are created by Tim Wright, aka Cold Storage. There are also going to be hosted servers to level the online playing field and minimise the possibility of cheating. So, you know. Those of you that like to give yourself a little speed-up bonus might find yourself tied to the uh, mechanics of the game a little bit. No one likes a cheater. Nope. So as I said, I got hands-on with this for sort of five, ten minutes. I did a couple of races. Uh, the track that I was on um, featured some quite cool sort of rocky landscape with a, with a really cool track through the middle of it. And one of the things that I love about anti-gravity games is just the amount of visual flourishes that they can put in there. So when you think about uh, games like Mario Kart, it's very... Here's the road, here's the stuff that goes on on either side of the track. You've got a couple of weapons that you can fling around, but there's not a huge amount of visual flair to it in that respect. Whereas with this, when you do boosts and stuff, you get really cool little lightning bolt effects. You can do stuff like when you lock on weapons to people and you get the little target and stuff that floats around on screen. And it just, I think it, it, it just adds a visual dynamic that you don't get in some of the more kitschy racing games and I really like that and it was it just made me really really nostalgic for being young it was very good fun it was I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to play it I feel From bad for of bags. thrusting all the bags at you I couldn't help it I'd bought £65 worth of Funko by that point but I had a little chat with one of the developers as well which was also really cool it's always nice to meet the creative teams behind these things and I was very grateful for the fact that they gave me a chance to play it. I mean, it was there all weekend, so loads of people had a chance. But, you know, for the fact that they booked me a little appointment and gave me a little chat about it, it was just a really nice little experience and one of the main reasons why I like to do this at the same time. I've put the trailer up on our YouTube channel so that you can uh, you can have a watch. Or if you want to Google it, uh, it's, it's called Pacer and it's coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC later in 2019, all being well. Definitely one to watch out. Go follow them on socials. There's there's loads of stuff for you to check out, and it's just it's a really exciting little project and something that I want to get behind and see what we can do to help promote in the future. But please do check it out and uh, and let us know what you think. Actually, if you like me are quite nostalgic for racing games of that era, then uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll set up a little tournament or something. See if you can beat me, who came in tenth place in my first race and eighth place in my second race, because. Let's remember I'm not very good at racing games as much as I enjoy them. You've got a good chance of winning, guys. I, I tend to bounce off the sides a lot in games like this. So it's just about time for us to head back into the crowds and enjoy the rest of the weekend here at MCM. Anything else that you want to tell the listeners at home that you've enjoyed about this weekend so far? 
Um, no, it's been a really good weekend. Uh, we're really grateful for MCM for inviting us down. Yes, huge thank you to them. We're always really, really grateful to get invited to absolutely anything that we get invited to, be it screening, convention, anything like that. So big, 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 big thank you for uh, for inviting us down and letting us wear the all-powerful press pass. It's the first time I've ever had a press pass and it's very exciting. <laughs> you were very excited when we got there on Friday and getting a little lanyard, weren't you? I was, I was very excited. Uh, we also got to check out a Stephen Amell panel while we we're here, but if we start talking to you about that, then I think we'll be running on to at least two hours in this podcast. So we've got a little rundown of it that's over on the website already. Uh, I've put all the photos up from that one. I think the main thing to take away from that one is he confirmed that Crisis on Infinite Earths has already begun. It doesn't kick off with the five-part crossover that comes later this year. It started at the end of Arrow Season 7. We are in Crisis, people. In Crisis. We'll have plenty more to tell you about next week. We'll have another episode of Swamp Thing to tell you about. What else have we got coming up in the next week? We've got the release of the last issue of Heroes in Crisis. First issue of Batman Last Night on Earth, which I am dying to read and for us to talk about. What are you looking forward to? Here, the conclusion to Heroes in Crisis. I'd be very excited to see how that ends or concludes. Yep. Got any films this week? We haven't got any films to see this week. Ooh, I do. Uh, by the time we get around to uh, our next podcast, I will have been to the Sony head office to watch Brightburn, uh, which I am very, very, very excited about. If you don't know about this movie, the trailer is already up on our YouTube channel. Uh, it is a story similar to that of the origin of Superman, but in a perspective where uh, the, the the child grows up to be evil. Uh, it stars um, one of my favourite actresses as well, Elizabeth Banks. What do we know her from? Rita Repulsa in the Power Rangers movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Pitch Perfect. Oh, her. Yeah. So she's in this, which uh, which just automatically makes it awesome because she's just amazing in, in pretty much everything. Although, I'm guessing she won't be too funny in this. You never know, she might crack a joke. I don't think this is a kind of joke cracking movie. No, I don't think it is either. You're not coming to see this one though, are you? Nope. <laughs> uh, why would that be? Don't do scary films. And that looks quite scary. Okay, so we'll be telling you... Well, I will be telling you all about that one next week. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, uh, if there's any comic books you want us to read, a TV show that you want us to check out, uh, then please do get in touch by the usual channels. I've told you all about them like three times by now. But uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Get Your Comic On, or you can find either one of us at Neil Vag or at BoyWonder89. That is goodbye from London's XL Centre and MCM Comic Con. We will be back here for the October show, which will be around the time that Joker gets released, which is very exciting. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. bye. So at this point, we realised that we hadn't actually told you about our competition for this week. So if you want to win an exclusive MCM Comic Con Red Wing Robin, which to you and I is Red Robin, a.k.a. Tim Drake, then check out our Twitter account just after this podcast launches. There will be a tweet there with a picture of the prize, along with details on how to enter. If you retweet that and use the hashtag GeicoRedRobin, then uh, you could be in with a chance to win this, along with uh, perhaps a mystery mini from either Batman vs Superman or Suicide Squad. Of course, we will also throw in the usual Get Your Comic Con badges and stickers as well. So uh, yeah, get entering.